0: Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as your adopted ones. We come before you in gratitude for your grace and mercy towards us and most of all for doing the unthinkable by sacrificing your only son for us. We ask that you help us comprehend what you did for us so we can appreciate you more and more. And Father, we thank you for your word that sheds light on this life and our flesh and the things we battle with in this world. We thank you for your perfect wisdom and your spirit to teach us. We ask that you bless us all right now and give us concentration. Help us forget about the details of life. Help us concentrate on your special message tonight that you have prepared from eternity past. And Father, we ask all these things based on the merits of our precious Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, the Deceitfulness of Sin, part 44. The ball keeps rolling on. What a series. Uh, We'll see when it ends. It almost doesn't matter. Um, It's fun to see, too, the different twists and turns the Spirit takes. I hope you're enjoying that. And now we're on the topic of joy and what true joy is. And the first thing tonight to talk about is that true joy is supernatural. And it's a monopoly of God. And that's not how we think of that. Uh, It's certainly not how the world thinks of joy. But it's a monopoly of God, just like all good things come from God. Without God, there wouldn't be any of these good things, because they are Him, if you will. So just think about that as we start off, like that perspective. Hold on to that perspective. True joy is supernatural and a monopoly of God. It can only come from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, as we know. Now, we're not talking about the world's counterfeit joy or joy coming from things in the world, as the world tells us will happen. The world tells us you will have joy if you whatever, right? Find this thing, do this thing, take this step, whatever they tell you. They say joy is at the end of these worldly solutions. Uh, It's a lie that many of us have learned the hard way to not be true. Right, chasing after things, and then they, you know, they come out flat. So, for example, we've been on the fact that many people in the world think that good food and drink, even overindulging, will bring them happiness. And DJ and I were talking about this before service. Um, especially in America, we we're, we we get trapped into that thinking from a young age. Uh, we we might think we're not overindulging when, in reality, we probably are. Do you know what I mean? You, you might, in your heart, think you're okay in a certain area. And that's why the Spirit keeps rooting these things out. He's like, you might want to take another look at this one. And this is one that I think, uh, you know, almost, I don't know, the vast majority of, of people in America fall into this category where uh, they think good food and drink and even overindulging is going to bring them happiness. Whether they say it or not, it's how they live. If food is appreciated as a gift from God, there may be some enjoyment from that. That is true. But most people in the world turn to food as a pacifier of sorts, even as a drug, as DJ was mentioning to me earlier. Even as a drug, something to be addicted to, um, buying into the lie that food can fulfill us. In some way, or take away our pain, etc. It simply can, not as many of us have also learned from experience. In fact, as you get older, you realize the more you overindulge, the more you pay the price. Amen? Anybody? The more your body suffers, the more you overindulge. And that is the grace of God in our lives that God set it up that way, that he gradually takes us to that point, he weans us off, you know, whatever this addiction is, or that addiction, whatever, he gradually does it, he doesn't shock us to death, but he says, you know what, as you're going to grow older, you'll see that this isn't what's going to sustain you. In fact, it's going to cause you pain if you overdo it. And that's God's grace, showing us not to look to the wrong thing for happiness. And it's just another example. By grace, overindulging in any kind of, quote-unquote, blessing usually results in pain. That's grace, and that's because God wants to be first. God wants to be first. God wants to be your addiction, if you will. He wants to be your love and your only love, the, only, the one that you're obsessed with. Nothing else in life is worthy of obsession other than Him, and that's where He tries to take us, the easy way or the hard way, by grace. So on the board, we're talking about a counterfeit joy. Living to eat and drink is a subtle lie from the kingdom of darkness to turn us away from God's supernatural sustaining of his saints in any and all circumstances. In other words, we shouldn't just live to eat and drink. That's not what life's all about. Uh, That would be a counterfeit joy, a counterfeit attempt At joy. It's what you think about the food and drink that counts with God. For example, when you eat and you say grace, or when you give thanks for that food, that's what God's looking for, right? Gratitude, pretty much in everything, and that changes it. Now it goes from an object of uh, obsession or addiction to an object of blessing, because of what you think about the food. As we learned years ago from this pulpit. It's what you think about the blessings that counts. It's not the blessings themselves. It's how you view or what your perspective is on the blessings. So again, a counterfeit joy living to eat and drink is a subtle lie from the kingdom of darkness to turn us away from God's supernatural sustaining of His saints in any and all circumstances. God loves to be the provider. God wants you to rely on Him as Father right So don't we spurn our Father when we say, "I'm not going to rely on you for my sustenance, for my needs, for my happiness, etc?" And we look to something else, and your dad is right there saying, "Wait a minute, you don't understand well, how good this is for you or whatever. you don't understand." So the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to understand his perspective. Turn again to Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17. On Sunday, we saw some wonderful verses about joy. And sometimes it's just so good to do this, to survey scripture on a topic and just, you know, read through it, um, see everything the Bible says about a certain subject. And, you know, you can all do this at home with your concordance on any topic you know, something's bothering you, you might just think of that thing that's bothering you and look up that word in the concordance and go find the scriptures and just read them and bask in the, the water, if you will, of the word. Uh, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, the spiritual pinnacle isn't about temporal enjoyment. The kingdom of God is not Eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We mustn't buy substitutes to finding joy. It's futile without being in the Lord or in the Spirit. Let's visit another old friend, which gives us an example of our food and sustenance and even joy being from God, being supernatural, He being the provider. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to John 4.32. John 4.32. So we're talking about the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. (laughs) And God can sustain us in other ways. And at times in our lives, He might choose to do that, to show us that we don't need the things we think we need. So this is uh, the Lord with the woman at the well, as you're all familiar with this. And when the disciples came back, they wanted the Lord to eat some food. They hadn't eaten, and they knew the Lord hadn't eaten. And in John 4, 32, but Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Could this be a sneak peek into the joy that only comes from God? Could this be one example of that? And what was his food that he spoke of? He elaborated in verse 34 that his food was to do the will of the Father. Look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, that's what sustained him, even gave him energy and power. <laughs> David said amen way in the back there, I think. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this came up before in the past with us. You mean doing the work of God in our lives sustains us and gives us energy and satisfies us? It doesn't make sense. But blessings come from obedience, including joy. The Spirit gave us something on Sunday which gives us a good visual of what true joy is and that it's not some emotional high all the time as the world pictures it. So I'm paraphrasing from Sunday on the board. The joy of the Lord. Joy isn't an emotional high. It's something steady you get to keep. Let that change your perspective if if it needs to be. You know, because we can think of joy because we've been trained over the years, we've been brainwashed over the years by the world. We can think of joy as this high, it's supposed to be this high or this elation, an emotional elation. At times it might be with God. At times it might be, and it probably should be at times, in your own private worship of Him, especially. But joy, God's joy, Christ's joy, is something steady. It's something there. It's like a state of being, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The world has taught us since youth that joy must be overt and emotional, but God's ways are not man's ways, and they're not subject to the emotional whims of mankind, of the flesh. So again, on the board, joy isn't an emotional high. It's something steady you get to keep. God is steady, isn't he? Like unto the sun rising every day, God is steady and perfect and good, and so is his joy. Just as his peace surpasses human comprehension and his love surpasses knowledge. The point is that God's provisions surpasses whatever it is, including his joy. Philippians 4.7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 3.19, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. These are supernatural spiritual things being described here that we should be praying to uh, grasp because we don't. And even till the day we die, we don't fully grasp these things. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Who can define that? Who can really put their finger on that? But the, these are God's provisions, and those that walk by faith are going to receive these provisions supernaturally and see what these things mean and the power of God. In their lives. What are the first three facets of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. And joy is right in the middle of the two things on the board. Joy is right in the middle of love and peace that surpass comprehension. Maybe, just maybe, there's a supernatural spiritual connection here. Just as Jesus said he had food to eat the disciples didn't yet understand. So let's continue reviewing some of the wonderful scriptures on joy and see what the Spirit reveals to us as we read them. Uh, turn again to Romans 15:13. Romans 15:13. We've talked about how God doesn't, God doesn't re- reveal His treasures or release His treasures to those that don't seek Him. So, he's kind of waiting on us, <laughs> probably all the time, right? But he's kind of waiting on us to come to him and really want to know his truths, to know his joy. And it's when we uh, surrender in that way that he's able to release more and more so we can experience it. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see here that through faith, notice this, through faith, through believing, it says, God wants us to be filled with his joy and peace so that we will abound in hope. And I hope you see in this verse even that this is a lifestyle God is telling us about, a steady lifestyle that we can keep when we walk by faith. Turn to Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Rejoicing in hope, there's joy again. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. A major theme from Sunday that came out was that when we truly live for others, we're set free from bondage to ourselves. When we truly live for others, we're set free from bondage to ourselves. pastor talked about how you know almost everyone he knows that really lives for others, they're never miserable. You just don't find, you don't see that in them, at least as a habit. When we decide to love God and love others actively, not passively, we're living in a supernatural purpose as believers. That's a supernatural purpose. I mean, if you had to net it all out and say, Why, what does God want from us? We might be right in saying he wants us to love him and love others. And that includes spreading the gospel. That's part of it, right? That's, that is loving others, really, right? But when we decide to do that, to live like that, actively speaking... Uh, We're living in our supernatural purpose. And guess what? That's why we get joy out of it. Because we were built that way. We're designed that way. Especially once you're born again. You're given new faculties. You're given the spirit. And you're not fulfilled unless you live like that. You won't have joy unless you decide to love God and love others. Putting yourself aside. So we're no longer slaves to sin. A.K.A. our sin nature because we're now living for others which is our true purpose from the Lord and when we do things God's ways we're happy supernatural happiness a steady happiness an underlying happiness even that's just there that isn't forced doesn't have to be um, overtly expressed it's just there when we obey His ways. So it's only our pride that's holding us back, right, for the most part? It's like love of self, pride, I want to do it my way, I want what I want, I'm not going to let go of this thing, etc. But if we do live His ways, that's where joy has to result because it's how we're built, it's how we're made. Here's one of the keys to living life with joy which Paul wrote as being from our Lord's own mouth in Acts twenty thirty five on the board. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed. Remember we talked about blessed means happy, right? To be blessed means happy. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's like a statement of truth. You will be happy if you give instead of receive. Give means others. Receive means self, right? You'll be happy if you give. Give love, love to God. Give love to others. In a variety of ways. When we give, for example, loving others, we will have an inner joy that is not explainable, but is plainly visible even to the world. They see your light shining. But, You know, I mean, just think of some time you you gave to someone in need, someone in a jam, and you even sacrificed to do so to help them out. And you received a fulfillment, a joy that, you know, was better than receiving anything. And that, again, is how God built us. That's how life works. The more we live for others, the more our joy will increase. It's not rocket science, it's actually just faith. (laughs) Living by faith results in this. And our joy when we walk by faith in love will incrementally increase the more we live for others. Remember John 4.34, what Jesus said his food was. When we walk by faith in love, our joy will incrementally increase. Uh, think of it this way, okay? And this came out on Sunday morning, and I, this is how I pictured it. Kind of like a sliding scale. You know, if you if you only p- put in, quote, unquote, 10% into living for others, well, you're going to get 10% joy. Okay, this is not a formula. Okay, don't go there with that, please. Just go with the analogy. The more you live for others and, and, and God, the more joy you're going to receive. If it's on on this side of the scale and 90% of your life is for others and for God, you're going to have much more joy. It's just how it is. It's it's even how God designed life. It's a reaping and a sowing. So just obey and you're blessed. Go figure. On the board, joy incremental. The more we love on and live for others, the more joy we will receive being delivered from bondage to self in the process, doesn't bondage to self suck? Isn't that the worst? And when you, n- you even know you're doing it, it's just—it's just horrible. It's like—it's like a weight that you drag around, and it's—it's it's uncomfortable. You don't have peace when you're doing it. You're lying to yourself when you're doing it. It's just like a horrible place to be. But if we could take our eyes off self and love others and live for others the more joy we receive from God and we're delivered from bondage to self in the process at the same time. And God's goodness is then revealed in the lives we're living and we're witnesses for him to the glory of God's grace. People say, why are you doing that? Why are you giving in that way? You know, you might even have people say to you at some point, who are you? You must be related to this person if you're doing this for them. You know what I mean? No, actually, I just met him about uh, 10 minutes ago. I don't know. When God, the Holy Spirit, leads you to do certain things for certain people and puts people in your path, and you obey and you do it out of grace and mercy, your light is shining before people, and we're bringing them glory. And we're the ones receiving the joy because we're giving and not receiving. It's a perfect cycle. So that's where joy sustained comes in, regardless of painful circumstances at times. On Sunday, Pastor asked this question about the joy of the Lord. Could this possibly be one of the greatest gifts in time for a believer? Turn to James 1, verse 2. James 1, verse 2. You know those times, uh, even though they might be fleeting, those times where you did experience His joy, are like pff, nothing else. And you're like, "Wow, can I stay right here, Lord? Can You keep me right here in this place, place of peace You just showed me?" And you know the answer is no, only because we get in the way again. But you know what I'm talking about tonight. You know what the Spirit's bringing up, and He's like, "I want this to be your steady." your steady uh, sustenance, your steady joy, your steady energy. I want you to enjoy life, regardless of circumstances. Look at James 1.2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. That's where I want to be one day. <laughs> right? You don't need anything to be happy. You could be Job on the, on the ash heap, scraping the boils, and be happy. Be at peace. Have joy. Know God has a plan for you. Be like, I'm going to accept this. You could That could be you. Right now, some of you are saying, that could never be me. I could never do that. You have no idea what you could do through the power of the Spirit and the Word working in you over time. You have no idea where you'd be five years from now. So don't put God in a box. But isn't that like a secret, a a secret to life that we we desire? Is to go through anything and be at peace, like real peace. And be like, you know what? I don't even care what happens to me right now. Self. I don't even care. I can see the handwriting on the wall. I can see God's got a purpose in this. I wonder what He's going to do. I wonder who He's going to bring to me in this horrible situation, and you endure it. Verse 4 again, let endurance have its perfect result. You're being sanctified, right? Perfect result. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But that requires trials, but God promises to give joy. So on the board, as came out on Sunday, consider it all joy Joy within and throughout trials is evidence of God's omnipotent grace being given to us. Grace is power. We don't think of it that way, but it's come from this pulpit several times over the years. God's grace is power. You know, when you think of grace, I first think of gentleness, mercy, right? Something we don't deserve. Forgiveness. But that takes tremendous power to be able to apply forgiveness to someone evil God's grace is power again joy within and throughout trials is evidence of God's omnipotent grace being given to us there's no other place that that supernatural joy comes from other than God's grace granting it to us James 1, 2 through 4 we just saw and Philippians 4, 4 through 7 please turn to Philippians 4, 4 Philippians 4.4. 4. And remember, this joy, again, is one major proof of our faith, which unbelievers cannot deny when they see it, because it doesn't make any sense. Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we walk in submission to the Spirit of God, Desiring his filling, we will be empowered with his joy that sustains us. Let me say that again. If we walk in submission to the Spirit of God, desiring his filling, we will be empowered with his joy that sustains us. Comes back to submission and humility again, right? We free God to bless us, to grace us out. Something that came from Thursday's lesson on the board regarding being filled. Submission allows God's grace to take care of us in every way. That's an awesome thought. And you know, you want to be filled with the Spirit. You want, you want to be controlled and empowered by Him. Submit. Submission allows God's grace to whew, take over your life. You know, to just, I don't know how to describe, but I get a visual in my head, almost like a cloud, like overcoming your whole life, taking over your whole life, even going before you, like the Jews in the wilderness. Submission allows God's grace to take care of us in every way. That came out on Thursday. That includes providing us with his joy, which endures all circumstances. Turn to Galatians 5, verse 22. Galatians 5:22 <clears throat> But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Again, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We can choose to either walk by the Spirit or by the flesh. And with that decision comes various levels of true joy. It's really up to us and our free will. The Spirit's telling us to not be deceived unless you'd rather have the resulting misery, unless you'd rather learn the hard way. Sometimes we even know we're going to learn the hard way, and we do it anyway. We're so stubborn and selfish. And then we get more misery until finally we give up grace of god so again regarding counterfeit joy worldly attempts at joy get bogged down in the details of life eventually experiencing the misery of a dead end can I get an amen somebody dead end isn't that a right a good term you know to think about the things we pursue, the things we chase, the things we think are going to work, or we want to make them work in our lives, and then we fall flat on our face six months later, right? In the dirt. And everything, you know, gets worse instead of better in the end. That's from chasing counterfeit joy in the world. Another way to put this is putting stock in things that don't have the power or ability to sustain us. We all do that. You put too much stock in something or some idea and think it's going to come through for you. And it doesn't have the power to come through for you. It doesn't have the ability to give you joy. Not really. God's got the monopoly, remember. So if you're over 12 years old, you've probably learned this by experience coming to a dead end after chasing worldly objects, let's say. God's joy transcends the details of life. For example, food and drink. It just transcends it. It's way above it. It's way up here. You know, instead of groveling on the ground in a way for things in the world to make us happy. Again, on the board, worldly attempts at joy get bogged down in the details of life, eventually experiencing the misery of a dead end. The sooner we believe that and apply that in our lives, the sooner we'll be set free and have more of his joy. Turn to Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, 11. He is our joy. You know, he has to be our joy. Just like the Bible says, he himself is our Peace. It's in a personal relationship that we find him and therefore find all of his goodness. Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. In your presence is fullness of joy. We believers already have the Lord in our lives. We already have his love and his undying faithfulness, but it's up to us to enjoy his presence by faith, by believing, as we read earlier. It's up to us to enjoy his presence. Pastor gave the example of being in the room with the Hope Diamond, right? And if you're facing it and looking at it and beholding it, you're enjoying it. If your back is turned to it and you're looking at the wall or the door you came in, you're still in the presence of this magnificence, but you're not enjoying it. The Lord is always with us. He's right there, in fact, right next next to us, living inside of us. But we don't look upon him. We don't behold him. We look for temporal substitutes that never satisfy. It's so foolish. So it's up to us to enjoy His presence by faith, by believing. That's how we receive His presence. I want to share with you a line from a Carrie Underwood song. As you may know, she has quite a few God-fearing songs, and they sent me during Sunday's message. What we do to ourselves by listening to sin within us. Again, we're talking about the deceitfulness of sin, right? What we do to ourselves because we listen to the sin nature within us. So check out these words, So Small by Carrie Underwood. Because sometimes that mountain you've been climbing is just a grain of sand. And what you've been out there searching for forever is in your hands. And when you figure out love is all that matters after all, it sure makes everything else seem so small. We human beings are so good at making a mountain out of a molehill. We're so good at it. We could make money at it if someone paid us for it. It doesn't make sense, but... We're so good at making a mountain out of a molehill. We do it with everything. We do it with things that aren't even important. Why? Ask yourself why we do this. Why do we make a mountain out of a molehill? Why do we make something that's a small problem into a dramatic sequence in our lives like do or die. Why do we do that? There's one reason only we lose his perspective. His perspective on life. And the most important thing is love. If you have God's love, you have it all. So how are you stressing about a dent in your car? Go see Jeremy. How are you stressing about what food you're going to eat. If you have the uh, right vegetables that match the flavor of the meat you have that night. And if not, someone's going to kill me because I don't have the right things. What, what are we, insane? We, we are, right? We, we, we do this to ourselves. It's just so stupid. And the only reason we get that stupid is we lose divine perspective. We don't look at things from up above down like he does with the big picture in view we believe is have it in our hands and now we can enjoy life if we just open our hands and share it with others namely his love but we have to hold on to God's perspective his love and peace and joy can sustain us through any anthill in this life and even the big things in life the things that we consider the big things really are only anthills compared to God's love it's not even close. So, we have the love of Christ, and we're worried about where we're going to live next month. I don't care if you're homeless. If you have the love of Christ, being homeless does not compare to having the love of Christ, being his own possession. So, again, we need to snap out of it and change our perspective by faith, by believing. Again, on the board, because sometimes that mountain you've been climbing is just a grain of sand, and what you've been out there searching for forever is in your hands. And when you figure out love is all that matters after all, it sure makes everything else seem so small. So, let's talk about walking by faith in love. Walking by faith in love. Turn away from self-focus and focus on Christ and his people. He's right there waiting for us to grab his hand each and every moment. Turn to 1 Timothy 1.14. Walking by faith in love. This is kind of a mini theme tonight. I think it was James. where I might be mixing my verses, but where believing comes in to play, to receiving God's blessings. Again, on the board, turn away from self-focus and focus on Christ and his people. He's right there waiting for us to grab his hand each and every moment. 1 Timothy 1.14, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, with the faith and love which I found in Christ Jesus. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. 2 Timothy 1, 13. We're talking about walking by faith in love. 2 Timothy 1, 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And on the board, look at Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. What that means, I can't, even, I can't even explain to you. I can't even grasp it myself. What does it mean to have faith working through love? I don't know. But he knows, and he knows he's going to reveal to those that submit, that those that really seek him, that want to know, how does this work? How do these things work together? What comes first? That whole thing. Leave it in his hands. But this is what we're told. So again, on the board, walking by faith in love. Turn away from self-focus and turn to Christ and his people. He's right there waiting for us to grab his hand each and every moment. Again, as Carrie Ann song said, it, it's already right there in your hands. And you keep looking for this thing out there. Let's see a little bit more encouragement about joy. Uh, turn to Proverbs 17:22 Proverbs 17:22 Could there be a greater blessing in our lives than actually having the joy of the Lord? Proverbs 17:22 A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So obviously, our God and Father wants us to have a joyful heart, but we can't do it without Him. Go to Psalm 118, 24. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sounds like Thanksgiving, being thankful. Let's enjoy the presence of the Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. That was one of Jesus' titles when he was with us, but he's still with us because he's in us. So again, it's perspective. It's not losing that true perspective by believing. On the board, here's a summary point from A.W. Pink's quotes in the last couple lessons on biblical joy. As spiritual love is far more than a sentiment, as God's peace is more excellent than mere placidity or tranquility of mind. So the joy which Christ imparts to the believer is vastly superior to any natural emotion. It is a state of exaltation, a complacence of heart, a full satisfaction of soul as a feast upon a perfect object. You know, when I read this, it reminds me of the desire I sometimes have to see the Lord face to face like on earth, to uh, be able to walk with him, right? Can you just imagine being able to walk with him to see his glory and uh, his love and his power like all at once? And how nice that would be, right? Look at how he talks about a full satisfaction of the soul as it feasts upon a perfect object. Unfortunately, that's not our calling. We're, We're to walk by faith and not by sight. But we still can feast on him through his word, feasting on his goodness, In our souls. And through Him and Him alone, we find joy. As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, divine joy is a special gift given to those who experience the presence of God in their lives. Divine joy is a special gift given to those who experience the presence of God in their lives. It's not given to everybody. It's given to those who follow him, who who surrender, who seek him. Seek and you will find. And on the board, glory be to God when we find it. God is glorified when we reap the fruit of the Spirit, such as love and joy and peace in our lives. God is glorified. You know, whenever you do something um, for God towards another person, and somebody starts to compliment you, it's so easy in the flesh, of course, to start receiving that compliment, first of all, but then to make sure that you give the biblical response, the truth of the matter, that it's from the grace of God and giving God all the glory for this fruit that you see in me, this love, this joy, this peace. I'm an idiot without God, so trust me, it's from him. And he's glorified. Meanwhile, we're reaping the benefits. We're the ones experiencing his love and joy and peace that go beyond comprehension. So we're reaping the benefits. Blessed, you know, more blessed to give than receive. We're reaping the benefits, and then someone still is being witnessed to, and God gets the glory. Consider, again, the majesty and power of God's love and the position it's given in Holy Scripture. Turn to John 13, 35 again. John 13, 35. Consider the majesty and power of God's love and the position it's given in Holy Scripture. That's for you to dwell upon. We're not going to go to a whole ton of scriptures on the love of God, but. think about the priority it's given in the word john 13 35 by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so this is what we're just talking about isn't it being a witness all the glory going to god all men will know you're my disciples they might even say you must be a christian because you showed someone love, maybe they didn't deserve it or whatever. They might even say that. They might even recognize that on the spot. But if not, they know something's different. They know. And the Spirit will show them. But by this love, living for others, back to that again, where we can find true joy, by this love, all men are going to know that you're my disciples. So cool and so simple. So simple. And when we decide to actually live like this, His joy will result in our lives, in our hearts, in a supernatural way. So we can receive God's joy by turning away from the world and turning to Christ, or we can receive misery after misery by looking to the world for joy again and again and hit the dead end and our face goes in the dirt again. If you want to, go ahead. But the older you get, the wiser you get, hopefully. (laughs) The more you fall on your face, which we all need it, let's face it. We all learn the hard way in certain areas of our lives at least. But the sooner we repent, the sooner we turn around and turn to Him and submit is the sooner we experience His joy. The very thing we're looking for in the first place. That's the irony of the whole thing. So, those are our options. When will we wake up? Is the only question. God promises if we turn to Him from the heart, He will fill the gaps in our soul. How many gaps do you have in your soul? Think about that. Think about those spaces where you're um, unsatisfied or nervous or worried or fearful. Whatever those spaces are in your soul, those areas in your life that bother you, where your soul's irritated, where your soul's uncomfortable. He wants to fill all those, make them smooth. If we turn to him from the heart, he's able to do that for us, and he'll replace our misery with joy that's unexplainable. On the board we've seen in James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Not rocket science. Humility, faith. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, as the Spirit's been saying, keep your chin up, spiritually speaking. And let's be spiritual when we talk about that, not fleshly, where we try to prop ourselves up under our own power. So regarding this idea of keeping your chin up, Luke 21, 28, Jesus said, but when these things begin to take place, talking about the signs of the times, of his return, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. I think of the uh, the ten virgins, you know, waiting for the bridegroom, looking to the door. When's he going to come in? When's he going to come in? What are we doing? We're looking up. When's he going to come? When's he going to come? That's the attitude of the wise believer, the humble believer. That's what it means to keep your chin up. No matter what's going on around you, it could be, <laughs> could use a lot of words, right? It could be a blank storm, horrible, horrible storm, all around you. But you're able to look up and anticipate his coming and have peace, supernatural. So, in other words, look to him for deliverance, not yourself. Look to uh, feast on the perfect object, as Pink said. And that requires quiet time, by the way, if you're going to do that thing. And in the process, guess what? You get to take your eyes off the object of misery, the one in the mirror. You get to no longer be a slave to yourself by feasting on the perfect object, the perfect one. Go to Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3, 1 for a little bit more on straightening up and lifting up your heads. Keeping your chin up in the spiritual sense. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So if we keep our eyes on self, we're not going to enjoy this supernatural life we just read about right there. If we keep our eyes on self, we will become trapped in sin, deceived by sin. And this is where perspective comes in on the board. We saw this on Sunday. The Lord never says to us, feel free to pass through the depths of sinful behavior to find joy. He never says, do that first. He never tells us to learn the hard way, that it's good with him, for example. In fact, he says just the opposite, don't be deceived. Galatians 6-7 on the board. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. May I add, by the grace of God, as we've been talking about. Thank God we reap what we sow, or we would destroy ourselves. And we'd get, get to a place where we couldn't get up from. But he helps us up. A little bit more on perspective. Think of your body, your life, as an instrument that God desires to use to His glory. You know, when I see this, I I I just think of being objective. Stepping back and being objective. Not subjective about me, 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 and my wants or whatever. Being objective, saying, okay, why am I here? And what is this body given to me for? It's simply given to me so I can move around, (laughs) go places, do things that bring glory to God. It is a tool, if you will, or an instrument. And we choose with our soul that God gave us to use our body for this glorifying purpose. And if we're brought to our hands and knees, that's good. It's from that position that God can redeem us and sanctify us. What's kind of been coming out over the past few weeks let hitting the bottom be a springboard to your new life in Christ. You need to go down before you go up. You need to, otherwise you're standing on the wrong foundation. Come down off the bad foundation and step up onto the good foundation. You can't fly yet. You can't fly from one peak to the other peak. And God designed it that way for now because we have to go through these processes if he's gonna make us give us a new life he already has if you're a believer but I'm talking about experientially right being sanctified bringing glory on the board that's why we have James 4.9 in the living bible let there be tears for the wrong things you have done let there be sorrow and sincere grief let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy and then from that position, when we hit the bottom and our faces in the dirt, from that position of humility, we can then do Psalm 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate your relationship with God. So think about this as we begin to close. Enter into the joy of submission to the holy, good God of the universe. Enter into the joy of submission to the holy, good God of the universe. Why is it a joy to submit? Because He's so good. How how can it not be a joy to submit to someone who saved your life? You know, and because we haven't seen Him, sometimes we lack faith, right? We lack faith to appropriate these things but if someone saved your life outside tonight you would have joy in serving them so the only thing missing where we don't have joy in serving Christ is faith since we don't see him we have to go by faith but we have the word obviously God's got to do that work in us but it is a joy to submit to Such a good, forgiving, loving God that should have nothing to do with us. Once we get to know Him through His Word, how could we not desire to follow Him? Even if it is on our knees, how could we not desire to follow Him? And it's by surrender or submission to the Lord that we escape the snares of the devil's world. So, just a couple more points on the board. Flee from distractions. The cure for distraction, a.k.a. spiritual ADHD, is surrender. God essentially has said, you just need to submit to my means of salvation and deliverance, and I'll take care of the rest. He will take care of the rest. He will be that cloud that goes before you. He will frighten your enemies, even though they're twice the size of you. He will do all those things. What do we do? Submit to His way of salvation and deliverance. And He literally promises to take care of everything else. Takes believing. On the board, back to the point from earlier tonight, being filled, submission allows God's grace to take care of us in every way. You know, Allow that paradox to sink in. Uh, accept that paradox by faith that there's joy in submitting to Him. Accept that by faith and then God can literally take over and take care of us in every way. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. We thank You for bringing all these things together for us like a perfect orchestra The way you weave the music together for us, the way that you help us see supernatural truths, help us understand these things that are totally beyond us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that you help us submit. And we also ask that you help us, that you give us more faith to simply submit and receive your joy and your ways alone. Father, we ask that you bless everyone in our congregation and those suffering and those who are sick. And also, Father, bless all those in the world around us that are lost. Open their eyes, open their spiritual eyes so that they can be saved. We ask also, Father, that you use us. Let us be used to your glory. We thank you for the body you've given us, whatever health you've given us, We ask that you use us as an instrument for your glory. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.